Hello and welcome back to the self-care unit. This week our topic is autism. To help us have this conversation, we have Daniel Jones with us. Daniel is a content creator, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and social advocate. He is a pioneer for neurodiversity awareness and is the recently published author of Autism for Adults, an approachable guide to living excellently on the spectrum. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Daniel. We're so excited to have you. Dude, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited. I love doing stuff like this because I get I get to talk and I love talking. I can never shut Same. up. We feel so that. do we. So <laughs> it's great. <laughs> One hour episode incoming. <laughs> we like stretch those streams. Yes. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Everybody, anybody who start listening to it right now, I'm so sorry. I talk a lot, but it's all good. It's juicy information. I have a rule, by the way. If it's not worth saying, I don't say it. So everything is juicy. I believe so that. You're welcome. That's a, that's a good rule to live by, you know? We like to start with how everyone is doing. So would love to know how you're doing, Daniel. What's going on with your life? Good, bad, ugly? Guys, like my, my life is, you know, so I signed, I signed my normal life away years ago when I was like 15, 16. So my life is always up and down and crazy. I just had a baby uh, five weeks ago. So I have a little baby boy. Um, and I also have... Thank you. And he's, he's the, he honestly cute as hell. Kids are amazing. I don't know if you guys are kids, but kids are great. Um, and so having a little baby cuddles is just the best thing ever. So uh, most of my days at the moment is taken up by like just cleaning up diapers and trying to make sure the pacifier doesn't fall out of the mouth when we're in the car and stuff. But um, yeah, I, I'm doing really, really well. My book um, hit a bestseller in uh, Canada and the UK within 24 hours, which is crazy, within the autism spectrum disorder kind of category. And it's number two in the US chat. So US is getting a little bit harder to crack because there's so many of you goddamn guys there. But it, it's going to get there. It's going to get there. But yeah, so I celebrate that, which is kind of cool. And it's crazy. And another, I'm going to tell you a little story about how I wrote the book, guys. You're going to love this. I literally wrote the book within two weeks. People say, how do you write a book in two weeks, right? Because apparently books take ages. But I have this extremely good motto, right? And my motto is this. If if people ask me to come on a podcast or I do live TV or a magazine, they say, can we send you the questions ahead of time? I said, absolutely not. And they said, what do you mean? I said, look, if I don't know what I'm talking about, why on earth are you interviewing me? I need to know everything I need to say off verbatim, right? Because that's who I am. That's my research. I was like, that's who I am, dude. They're like, oh, okay, cool. They get all freaked out about it. It's crazy. Because they're used to dealing with politicians and people who don't know what to talk about. And then the author, the author, the publisher were like, you know, authors take like a year to write a book. And I was like, dude, I can write like 17 books in a year. Like, what are you talking about? And they were like, what? I was like, what? I was like, I don't need to sit down and research for a year because I know what I'm going to say. And this is how I did it, guys. This is the good part. You think If you think it was writing it impressive in two weeks, that's not the impressive part. The impressive part is I'm dyslexic, heavily dyslexic, right? I got dyslexia as well, which is great. Learning difficulties. Woohoo, yeah. And um, one of the things that I'm terrible at is sitting down and focused writing because I got ADHD as well. So I got ADHD, autism, dyslexia, great combination. It's just like my mum had a great time with me. And um, so what I did is I got on a treadmill and I ran, because I love running. I do like 5K a day. So I was like running on a treadmill for an hour and I was talking to my phone and it was writing it out for me. So I did that uh, eight times, did eight hours. And then I got the all of the stuff that I'd written down, chucked it into an AI tool called Grammarly. Grammarly made sure it was all kind of like, you know, nice and working lovely. And then sent it to the publisher. And there you go. Hey, presto. You have a book. So yeah, there you go. That's a tr- And that is a true story. Wow, that is amazing. Also, shout out to Grammarly that has saved every nursing student in the world (laughs) (laughs) our research papers oh my gosh it's such a great tool see ai isn't all that bad right we've been using it for a while (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, dude, like 100%. You guys are nurses, like, so you guys are kick ass at like learning, right? So, um, there's a saying that I found in a Christmas cracker. Do you have Christmas crackers in the US where you like sit around the table and you you pull this thing? It looks like a it's like a long cylindrical tube, and you no, pull it, it makes noise. but I want it. It's like a stupid paper hat. <laughs> what, dude? Google UK Christmas, Christmas that sounds cracker like Harry Potter hat, stuff, right? And, and um, but I, I inside a cracker once the thing wrote <laughs> was written in there. It said, "Embrace what you can't ignore." And I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever been given in like a fortune cookie or like a Christmas cracker. Usually it's like, you know, what's black and white and red all over? Sunburn penguin. <laughs> but then like, you know, I, I read this one and it was like <laughs> literally embrace what you can't ignore. And I was like, I, I honestly, it was like 11 year old me seeing the hand of God. <laughs> like, like, you know, it was amazing. It was about, yeah, it, honestly, dude, like and I, I live by it. I live by it. Affirmations at 11 years old. Like we should, that should dude. be, that should be a thing. Um, and like, speaking of which, like the back of your book says, I feel like everyone else got a handbook with all the answers and I never got my copy. That seems like an excellent summary of what it is that you actually do, which (laughs) I feel like we could do like two hours on what it is that you actually do. But could you talk more about like what motivates your work and why you are where you are? Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, you know, Ever since, ever since I can remember, I feel like I was on a mission from God. Like we all have a purpose, right? And I believe that like, you know, God put me on this planet to do something amazing. And like, I'm not like, I wouldn't say I'm like, I'm a Christian. I wouldn't say I'm like a Muslim or anything like that. But like, I, I definitely have a relationship with God, whatever that could be universe, God, like the ether, whatever you guys want to call it. And I call it God because like I'm more of a Buddhist than anything else. Anyway. Um, and so I always felt like this, like God's put me here for a reason. Uh, embrace what you can't ignore and then i was like uh you know i, I was trying to figure out what i was what i was going to do in my life and and i always figure that like you know you're always in the right place at the right time you know you're exactly where you need to be that's always this thing like god has a plan right he has the best of planets as they say in islam um allah is the best of plan as they say and so um so i was kind of like fumbling about in the dark and i, and I had this when i was 26 years old i got diagnosed with asperger's syndrome and adhd which is now just asd right it's not asperger's anymore it's just asd which is fine i mean i don't mind people using the term asperger's i use it sometimes but it's fine um but uh and then i basically went onto youtube because i'm a visual learner again it, you know i can't read that well so i went to youtube type in asperger's syndrome because i knew nothing about it it's like enter and I was like, oh, these videos are like extremely depressing. There was like no information there. There were bad videos, bad lighting. Nobody was charismatic. Nobody was characterized. There was, there was nothing there. It was like unanimated. These dudes like, yeah, so I'm like the most boring person ever. I thought, oh, do you know what? Enough is enough. So I was like, do you know what I should do? I should make my own uh, video, <laughs> put it out there. Because like, I, I was like, hey, I've done 26 years of like, surviving and now i know my diagnosis maybe i can now thrive so if i put a video out maybe i can help other people maybe i could be that bridge between lack of information and dire straits information that's on youtube so i did that uh and then i and i left it for a year and then i just kind of fell into it people asked for more videos and then it snowballed snowballed and that was my full-time gig i'm a full-time video influence if you want to call it author uh an entrepreneur um I, i'm a consultant um uh, I, I'm also a chemist. I have a degree in chemistry. Like that's my like degree. Like, but I did that afterwards as well, which is quite funny because uh, I was really bored. I get really bored and I have to learn things. So I, I did this degree when I was bored. Um, and then, uh, and yeah, so I fell into my advocacy work and, and, and it kind of like became this thing where 
I have this unique talent to be very charismatic and, and animated um, for, for somebody who, who has an autism spectrum disorder because I grew up as a performer. So my dad's my dad is quite an interesting bloke. He's, an, he's a martial artist. He has seven black belts in, in um, Aikido, uh, karate. And he invented his own style called Yamashima. And so so I grew up in a very like disciplined Japanese-based household. Um, and my dad was also a, uh, a musician. He's a full-time musician. He still is to this day. My dad is in his 70s. He's like 71 this year. And he's still a full-time musician. Like he gigs like every, like I think it's three times a week. He has like contracts in hotels and stuff. He's a crazy guy. So I've, so I've always been around music, performing, doing all these things. I'm friends with like celebrities and all this stuff. So I was always kind of like having to not mask, but put on a character, right? To be all these things. So then I realized I had this a bizarre ability to communicate how I felt through this performing art of, of, or performing or being a persona. So then I was like, well, you know, maybe I could really be a light or a beacon for people who maybe feel ostracized from society or at least feel alone. Um, because growing up with, with you know, an autism spectrum condition, you, you feel completely alone because it's like there's millions of people around you and nobody understands you, right? So I wanted to be that person that people understood. So I was like, yeah, you know, I'll put the videos out. And then people were just like, you know, I put a funny quote out on my Instagram once, like, uh, and it was shared like thousands of times. Um, it was, um, it was a picture of me. I was out running. Um, and I, and I thought to myself, do you know, what's really funny? Like I have a degree in chemistry, right? It's like, I, I can literally make pharmaceutical drugs. Yeah. I can't be in a room with cut onion, raw onion, you know? So it was really funny contrast. Like you have this, you know, this guy who can like make drugs to save people's lives, but then you got, you can't be in a room with cut onions. And so I was like, that's, that's autism. You know, that's a very, very good snapshot of how, how divided my brain is. Um, and so, yeah, and it just went from there. And I just, I, I literally like my daily is helping people. Yeah. No, and I like how you were saying that your first information about autism was what you considered to be negative, and you kind of turned it into something positive that people can work with. And I really like that. Well, I do a lot of keynote talks for autism conventions all around the world, um, and I was one of the things I put into it a lot of times. I say to the parents, I say, "Look, the reason the reason you see autism in a negative light is because you're always going to a clinician or a clinic or a practice to get this diagnostic, right? But nobody ever goes to a hospital for fun. Nobody ever goes, yeah." Go to hospital, doctors tell like, congratulations, you have this diagnosis. Nobody shouts and goes, woohoo. It's always a negative experience, experience, right? So you you attach this negative experience to any diagnosis that you get within a clinical position. So when you go to your doctor's office and like, yeah, you, your test results show or your assessment results show you have an autism spectrum disorder. It's an instant negative feeling, right? And so you have to change, you have to reprogram that idea that it's, yes, that there are negative parts of it. There's negative parts of everything. I don't get, you know, I don't wake up every day and go, oh, do you know what? I'm really shit at cooking. Like, and I, gets me down. I don't, I don't care. I don't care. Dude, I can play like 17 instruments. Like I taught myself, I'll focus on those things I can do. I won't worry about things I can't do because I'll pay somebody to do those things or somebody else will do it for me. You know what I mean? Like we all have our roles to play in society, right? You know what I mean? I don't think like anybody wakes up and thinks, oh, I'm not Beyonce. Like nobody cares. Like Beyonce does her thing and I do my thing. You know what I mean? Even though I could shake my booty better than her. But you know what I mean? Like I think it's just crazy. I, well, hey, I do wake up every morning and rue the day that I did not, um, wake up as Beyonce. <laughs> Being Beyonce knows. Uh, to Funny. be Beyonce, if only. Uh, now Queen that, B, yeah. a dream. That's a deity. <laughs> so what barriers, Daniel, do you think was nothing. that you well, you had um, as to why you were diagnosed, I guess, not really so late, but 26? When did you realize that maybe I'm a little different and when were you diagnosed and how did that whole process go about? You know, it's funny. Um, I have many barriers through my life. Um, and I, and I, and I look at things like this when, when you, when you're presented with a problem, a barrier is a problem, right? When you're presented with a problem, um, I do a lot of spiritual therapy, I guess it's the thing you say. And one of the things I came to a cognition in a session once was that, um, 
if you're presented with a problem, the problem only exists because a solution exists, right? It's like light and dark, you know, left and right, up and down. So then I go, shoot, I'm not presented with a problem. I'm presented with a potential towards a solution. So I'm not staring down the barrel of a gun. I'm actually looking at this thing thinking, I can just move out of the way. You know what I mean? And so it's kind of like, so the word barrier, yes, those barriers exist, but they're, they're, they're only temporary or they are their potentials towards overcoming a barrier or helping a solution to a barrier. And how this happened for me um, and and how I was diagnosed was um, all my life I've been different, obviously. I'm very different now to when I was when I was a kid. When I was a a child, something quite interesting for people with Asperger's syndrome, when they're children, it's much more intense. When they become teens to you know, adolescence, it kind of like not mellows out, but it becomes a little bit more masked, right? Because you learn like certain things. And as you get older, as you get really old into your 50s, 60s, 70s, then it starts becoming more progressive again. So when I was, when I was a little kid, my parents were like, dude, you know, summer's up and down. I, I talk about it very extensively in my book. The first chapter of my book is all about like growing up. And so they were like, oh, God, you know, it doesn't speak to anybody. He's super shy. You can't play with toys and play with friends. Like, doesn't play with his brother and sister. Like, you know, what's wrong with this kid? Like, and I only eat one meal. Like, you know, I wouldn't like one, like literally one set of foods, not like one meal a day. I mean, like I'd eat that meal three times a day if I could. And so they were just like, okay, so we to the psychiatrist, but you, you, we're going back to like 1989, 1990, right? Because I'm 36. So no, I'm not. I'm 37. Oh, goodness. I'm aging. Jeez. So I'm 37. So go back to like, you know, the 1980s, 1990s. I live in rural Wales. That's where I grew up. My parents brought me up here. We had the choice of being brought up in a city near London, but they didn't. They brought me up here in rural Wales, which is great because like we have seed, sand, and clouds and stuff. Um, but the the funny thing was, absolutely atrocious for medical attention in the 90s like oh it's like gone like back and beyond you know so autism wasn't really a thing that they were diagnosed so this you know the, the medical profession which is like oh no idea you know he's an odd kid and maybe that's who he is you know what i mean and my parents are like okay whatever so they kind of just dealt with it like that's done but i struggled all my life like struggled with emotional regulations i struggled with um relationships with people i struggled with understanding friendships i just I struggled with understanding demands that were put on me by my parents which were just normal demands like brush your teeth and uh, i don't know wake up at a certain time go to school do this that and the other and all those things um you know executive function or you know executive dysfunction were, were just incredibly difficult um and i remember school was exceptionally painful um because you know you're surrounded by people who it was the, the, the whole idea of the handbook was like I always felt like I'd missed an entire semester of school. So I go to school and everyone seemed to know what on earth to do. Like they knew to get their pens out and they knew to do things with their paper and they needed to speak to the teacher and they knew to stand up and read. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I was like, what? I did, who got the memo? Like, I didn't get this memo. What the heck is going on? You know, so I'm sitting there rocking on my own and the teacher's like, Ooh. you know, and you know, it, it, it was it was difficult because I couldn't like go to swim class. So the school would take, you know, you know, in preschool and kindy, they'd take you out and you go to like, I don't know, the, the sports leisure center and they go take the kids swimming because, you know, everyone needs access to the exercise. Um, but I couldn't do that because I was so socially anxious. Like I couldn't, I was like, you know, freaking out. So they're like, okay. So it literally, it was like early 90s. They like locked me in the classroom on my own. Just like, there you go. Stay there on your own. I was like six or something like, holy smokes. Like if a fire caught and if yeah. I set someone off, I'd be dead like straight up. There's no way for me to get out. You know, I mean, it's locked from the outside. You know, there's like one door. Kid. Crazy, crazy times of your life. But yeah, but it was good because like it taught me stuff. Do you know what it taught me? It taught me that being on my own was actually bliss and I loved that century break, but it was a century break during the day. So I was like, oh my goodness, I needed that. You know what I mean? So then now going forward, I, I, if I have too much in the day in my working life, I just go, oh, I need a century break. But anyway, long story forward, uh, I was 
I've been, you know, going from job to job to job to job to job. I finally landed a job um, in a multimedia uh, company, and I was I was uh, I was inline coding some HTML stuff and did a bit of website things and a bit of graphic design, all, all self taught and all this kind of nonsense. And they were really cool. It was a very small company, but it grew very rapidly overnight. We went from about maybe twenty people to about two hundred people in the space of a week, which is absolutely bonkers. And then um, and I came back from having a, a small holiday or vacation, as you say in the states. And I came I came back from holiday. And I came back to my desk and they'd moved my desk around because they moved offices. So I was like, ah, you know, I'd sat in that same desk for three years and I like freaked out. And then uh, I had this incredible meltdown in, in the office. And then they were like, oh my goodness, please go home. Like, so somebody has to come and get me, take me home. My girlfriend picked me up, took me home. And then I, I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't face going into the office again for, for months. I was just like, working from home and trying to integrate myself back into society. It was just horrendous. So then that, they had to send me for therapy. My, my work, like you have to go for therapy, you know, like this happened in work, all this kind of stuff. And my therapist was like, dude, like, does anyone assess you for autism? I'm like, no. And they're like, oh my goodness. But at the same time, my girlfriend's mother, she's a mental health nurse. And so she was asking me, like, is Dan on the spectrum? Because I'd only been with my girlfriend like two years. And so I don't really see my mother that often, you know, because I don't like spending a lot of time around a lot of people. So like, I don't really see him at like family dinners and for like two or three a year, maybe. So uh, my partner, she at the time she was she was studying a degree in childhood studies and development specifically in autism, which is hilarious because everything, all these things that kind of just culminate at one time. And uh, I remember she was saying like, oh my God, like this is this is Dan just all over. And so she was really concerned. She said, yeah, maybe. And so she said, look, why don't you why don't you go with what your therapist says, go for the assessment, you know, and then maybe if if they do diagnose you with anything, then we can learn more about it. I said, okay, whatever. So I did that. And then obviously I was diagnosed with it and I was like, damn it. Like, so I was like, now I have to learn something about something I have nothing about. And it was quite scary because you checked on the deep end, you know, and that's how that came about. Um, uh, but funny enough, I, I was speaking to uh, some education, um, uh, some some heads of faculty in, in the schools that I have been to through, throughout my educational journey. And some of them are saying that when I was first in technical college in the in like 2005, 2004, uh, they, they marked me down as being an autistic person, but they didn't um, they didn't put me for an assessment. They just they just marked it down on my papers, which was quite hilarious because it was like, you know, 10 or 12 years after I get a diagnosis, which is like, is what it is. And, you know, I like... I think it's interesting too how even having a late diagnosis, it still allows you to look back on your life and it gives you a little bit of a reason behind everything. And then your partner essentially also saw like this is Dan to a T and decided to kind of support you in that. And then it kind of makes everything make a little bit of sense. And like to to talk more on that, I know you spoke about masking being something that you've done basically your whole life, even pre-diagnosis. What is masking for you? Do you still mask in your daily life? Um, is it situational? I know it's something that we've heard um, even in the in the ADHD episode we did last week, and it's something that I'm particularly familiar with, and I know that I've also done throughout childhood, but not particularly due to any particular diagnosis, but in response to trauma in my childhood. Um, That's a whole other story. But anyway, (laughs) um, but I think masking is something that is a topic that is deeply misunderstood. And it's definitely something I would love to cover just for this episode in particular. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, Everybody, everybody masks at some point in their life because it's kind of like, it's kind of like, 
you know, if you're, if you're walking down the street and you see some kind of like dodgy looking people, you want to be as like tough as possible. You know what I mean? Be like, yeah, stay away from me, bro. You know what I mean? And so that's kind of like masking in a very typical crude sense. And, and I use it, I use it every single day for different situations because what I've learned from, from growing up is that you, everybody, my, my experience of life is, is kind of like this. I, my mind is going a thousand miles an hour. I'm constantly thinking of things. I'm constantly like making things. I have like 17 projects on at once. Like I, I'm doing, if you ask me now what work I have on, honestly, if I listed them out, you'd be like, what on earth is going on? Um, just like running on a treadmill to, to write my book, you know, all these things, my brain was still not satisfied. It was it's like this thirst for stuff. So when I'm in daily life, typically people it's like talking to children like imagine being imagine starting your first day at work right and everybody who works there is a five-year-old you're like oh. you can't have a decent conversation you 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 can't get good decent information back you're getting negative feedback because you're like i'm, I'm not getting the answer here i'm not i'm not i'm not figuring out that i don't understand what they're saying to me this is not making sense there's no linear kind of like uh, succession from this conversation and that's what life is like so i have to act like a five-year-old to, in order to understand or fit into the site so I don't stick out too much. Because I noticed that, you know, there's an old J- Japanese uh, uh, proverb or saying that says that, you know, the nail that sticks out the first is, it, it sticks out the furthest is the first to get hit by the hammer, right? And it's true. When, you're, when, you, when you stick out more, when you, when, you, when you are as odd as possible, you know, in a, in a, in a sea of people who are just like typical, you, you stick out like a, like a sore thumb. So, um, so I, I kind of like learned to try my best to, to blend in. And that just that basically means wearing black and just hanging out the back like, going on what's up bro but like if people ask me questions like you know so it's that it becomes a there comes a time of a problem somebody says to me like you know like uh so i'm a vegan right i'm a vegan i'm one of those hippie vegans and uh, i love animals and stuff like that but so like i try and blend in with people i'm just like yeah you know oh yeah football haha <laughs> i know nothing about sports by the way and then they're like oh, yeah, football is football i'm like yeah <laughs> and then somebody says like oh you know there's so many uh amino acids and meat that you need i'm like bro sit down let me tell. Let me tell you. There's only 20 amino acids that exist in the world, and they're all found in plants. Shut up. Like you know what I mean. And then like they. And then they're like, who? This isn't football talk. Like get away. You know what I mean. Like, and so it, it does. It does. You become unmasked when when your intellect becomes challenged, and you, and then you and then you like then again, and then you kind of like the. It's like the Scooby Doo episode where they pull a mask up. Like, oh my god, it's Daniel Jones. Like, and then, and then know. he becomes the most annoying person in the world. And then yeah. you have no and friends. Fun. And that is literally my life, my childhood to a T. It was so funny. I, like, I watched <laughs> Barbie movie with one of my really good friends, and one of the um, movie trailers that came up was the Timothy Chalamet Willy Wonka. And so people have been roasting this preview because it's a lot, right? It's very intense. And I just turned to my friend. I'm like, this is me if I didn't have to mask every day. (laughs) Like, I feel so seen by Timothy Chalamet, Willy Wonka, because I would love to be the most whimsical motherfucker in the world. That would be lovely. Why can't we all embrace that embrace the cringe you know (laughs) do you so in your work do you believe that um autism is particularly um underdiagnosed when it comes to um women in in particular it's something that we've heard it's also something that we covered in the adhd episode if anyone wants to listen to that from last week um adhd is underdiagnosed in women um 
but diagnosed heavily later in life. So any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, autism follows the exact same path. Um, in 2019, the uh, the current ratio of people in America diagnosed with autism was one in 60. Uh, today's stats show it's one in 33, which is an incredible leap within a short space of time. Here in the United Kingdom, it's one in like 100 or one in 99. Now, this comes from a, a few different factors, like mainly because um, people say, oh, it's an epidemic. It's not an epidemic. There's, you know, there's no increase in the amount of people who are autistic, there's an increase in the amount of people who are diagnosed autistic because now we have the technology and understanding to diagnose those people properly. So what they're doing now, especially here in the UK, the, the National Autistic Society are putting a lot of funding into training um, education establishments and clinicians to understanding the difference in how autism presents in, in females um, and uh, or girls or women or whatever you want to say. And so years ago, back in 1942, Hans Asperger was doing uh, uh, criteria uh, or logging criteria in boys, uh, young boys, like children, who were displaying traits that now would be diagnosed as Asperger syndrome or be participating as Asperger syndrome. And at the exact same time, 1942, in the US, a guy called Leo Kanner was doing the exact same research. So he coined it Kenner infantile autism. That's what he called it. Then it was Kenner syndrome. And then they just shot it to autism. Uh, autism actually comes from a, a Greek or a Latin word, I think. Uh, is it Greek or Latin? It means uh, one on their own or, or by oneself. That's what autism means, like isolated or by oneself. Um, and so that's why it had Kenner's infantile autism, because the, they, they liked isolated play. Now, um, the research stayed at just males, right, which is really interesting, because because they, the the... the uh, the symptomatic characteristics were so prominent in young males, um, more so than they were in females, because the females were able to mask because they have a different role. It's hard to, it really, really hard to explain in such a short episode, but like females on the autism spectrum still act like females would do in real life. They're trying to provide, they're trying to be motherly, they're trying to build a home, they're trying to nest, all these things. So they're trying their best to fit into those things. So basically, Canada's infantile autism and Hans Asperger's um, clinical kind of trials, they were all done on males. And, and that was the fucking standard for literally like 30 years. And nobody ever batted an eyelid of it. Which Idiots. is consistent and across it, medicine in general. Yeah, in general. Yes. A hundred percent, which is nuts. Um, and then, and then you get this, um, yeah. And then in Lana Wing, then in, in, in the early eighties, she, she coined the term Asperger's syndrome for this type of stuff. So, so what we had then, it was just this Asperger's and Leo Kanner's autism or infantile autism and just autism. That's all we had for like 30 years. And then people were like, uh, you know, females display these traits too, but like, come on, man. And they're like, oh shit. So like in the, in the, in the late nineties, early thousands, they were like, oh, fuck. so that they're now having to backtrack and do all this kind of stuff. So, so yeah, so we're seeing a huge volume of females, older females being diagnosed because it's now their time where people or you know, their, their clinicians or their physicians will be like, shit, Judy's on the spectrum. Fuck. I've been seeing her for 25 years. You know what I mean? And now that I, I, I interviewed an author on my, on my podcast about, Oh God, a year ago. And her mother was diagnosed with autism when she was 77, which is absolutely fascinating. Um, she's since passed away, bless her. But at the time it was just like, Whoa, you know, like it was crazy. Like a 77 year old woman getting diagnosed with autism. Like, where are we? It's great. I mean, it's a great breakthrough, but like, come on guys. Well, head out our ass. Do you know what it is? There's a, there's a, this is what pisses me off about the world currently. There's a war on women. I can't stand it. There's a war on women, and I'm not going to stand for it. And this is, again, suppression of, of the females, of, of our species, because it's ridiculous. Yeah. And you know why? Because women are fucking powerful. They play the hand of God. They birth children. Like, seriously, we all have mothers. Like, it's crazy. You know what I mean? Every little boy loves his mother, and every little girl loves their mother. 
Okay, dads are important. I'm a dad. I'm not trying to downplay the dad role. I'm just saying that there's something special about a mother, right? And so, and and I think the powers that be don't want us to to be strong people who who love our mothers. I don't know why, but it just annoys me. So like, more power, power to women. So everybody respect your women. Let's do it. I love. Okay. So I kind of want to backtrack into healthcare because we see a plethora of patients, obviously, and some of those patients do have autism. It's probably very broad, but is there anything you suggest in particular as a way that we can support our patients? So, yeah, you know, I think the the biggest thing for me, especially when people are dealing with um, anyone on the autism spectrum, is the validation because someone will come in and be like, you know, autistic person might be like, look, they, you know, they're completely irate. They're just completely freaking out and you're trying to calm down. Like, oh, shit, what the fuck's going on? Like, you know, they must have been slapped or shot or something. And, and they're like, no, 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 they didn't have my my, my bread in Subway. And you're like, what the fuck? And, and it may, might be completely trivial because like, you're like, okay, it's just bread, dude, calm down. And the first thing people do, they'll try and calm the person down by saying, look, it's okay, it's fine. It's just bread, man, you know, because they're seeing it from their point of view and you're trying to implement empathy within that person, which doesn't work with autism. The difference is you say, ah, yeah, that would piss me off too, dude. I totally get it. Fuck Subway. You know, we're going to go to like, I don't know, Starbucks or Costa. Or you know, And so if you can validate how the person feels, they feel heard. And, and that's the biggest thing within autism, especially in, in clinical practice, because you say something to them and they, they act like they know better than you. And they do because they, they're clinically trained to know more about you than you know about yourself, right? But what they don't know is, is you personally and how you want to react to something. But everybody loves two things. Everybody loves being validated. And the second thing is they love hearing their own name from somebody else. Because I think it was a book uh, by Dale Carnegie, yeah? Make Friends and Influence People, How to Make Friends and Influence People. He says, a person's name to them is the most beautiful thing they can ever hear. So I, I always learn people's names and I repeat it three times when I first meet them, right? Um, so Sarah, Kelly, you guys are amazing. But like, um, you know, it, it's kind of like, if, if, if you present that, you know, if you're an autistic person, comes like, sorry, what's your name? And you tell them the name, They'll start to instantly feel more calm. And then ask them what the problem is and validate that problem, no matter how ridiculous it sounds. Even if they could they say, oh, my, my, a friend of mine stole Lego. You're like, okay, why are you coming to a for? But, you know, like, uh, it, it's not about that. It's about validating their feelings. And then you can get them to a level. Because what happens at that point is you pair with that person. And it's all about pairing. I teach this in one of my courses about, like, how, 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 you know, people ask that they have demands of everybody. We all have demands of people. You, you, your demand of me is to come and perform on your show. Uh, my demand of you is that you promote it fairly. You know, we all have demands. It's an exchange of demands, right? And so when we when we meet, presented with autistic individuals, we're demanding of them the most simple things. But in order to to have that demand met, you have to pair with them at the same level so you can share. Uh, demands. It's kind of like speaking a foreign language, right? You wouldn't. You'd have to learn the language first, and then you can communicate with the person. And that's all it is. And I hope that answers the question. It does. Okay, one last thought. Um, nursing is very like ninety percent ish women, and we know that there are nurses with autism who are on the spectrum. Any thoughts on ways to support nurses who are autistic, um, and also like validating that yeah, you can do so many things and be on the spectrum. You can be a nurse. You can have autism and be a nurse. You can have autism and be a doctor. There are autistic doctors. And it's like, it's interesting because people are honestly afraid to share their diagnoses with their colleagues. Yeah, of course. Because we see how patients are treated in the healthcare setting. And so um, any thoughts on that or any ways to support healthcare workers on the spectrum? Yeah, you know, I think... Allowing healthcare workers, because um, that's it's a huge demanding job, right? So not you're the only demands of society. You have demands of your job, and 
although you are doing a fantastic job, you still need, I think autistic individuals will need just a little bit more space in between jobs. I know that sounds stupid, but like, you know, if, if an autistic, if you see an autistic colleague, maybe grabbing a coffee one too many times in the typical sense, it's not because they're skiving off work. An autistic person would never do that. You know, it's because they need that break. And I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm just saying like, it's different. If you go outside for a cigarette and to bum about on Facebook on your phone, like, you know, come on, man. But it's different if you're just like literally having two minutes and like, and allowing them to have that and not judging them for, for, for being a little bit erratic sometimes. Because what, what happens, autism is very interesting. It will have, um, because it's black and white, um, and my mood's like this. I, I'm either really pumped, excited, or I'm flat depressed. Like, don't fucking talk to me, dude. Like, I'm going to punch somebody. And so there's no in between. But it flips like that. So you could be really, really happy, really sad and hit low, but give it a few minutes and I'll be back up to peak. peak you know what I mean? So if you find your colleagues uh, are, re uh, are reacting badly or negatively or emotionally to something, it doesn't mean that they are going to stay emotional forever or that that's what they are being an asshole. It just means that they're trying to regulate their emotion and they will come back up to, to peak. Just give them some time. Unless it's a meltdown, it might take a little bit, like a day or so. But like, but like typically regular, like, um, uh, emotional deregulation is like is huge, especially if you're working in care work and, and you're working with people, front-facing people. That's huge, it's huge, huge. A big issue for people on the spectrum. I'm actually really good friends with a an autistic nurse here in the UK, which is amazing. I should totally hook you guys up. She'd be a great guest, and she's a lovely woman. Um, and uh, and and she she does a great job. You know what I mean? And I love seeing that stuff. And her hers she puts stuff on the uh, on Orange Scum all the time, and it's very relatable. And I think it's great. Um, but yeah, just just allowing just allowing validation of of the emotional deregulation to happen and just say, and don't, not judging them for, for just kind of having a little bit more time away just because that, because you need to, you just need to debrief. Just be like, all right, let's go. You know what I mean? I was going to say it's so overstimulating as it is anyways, for someone that's not on the spectrum. And it's like, I cannot even imagine the like sensory break that we all need. Yeah, dude, it's fucking nuts, isn't it? I mean, like that's, I was going to, I wanted to do clinical psychology as a degree, but like, I don't know if I could deal with, it's too much, you know what I mean? I'd, I'd like to learn about it, but I don't think I could, I could practice it because I could say, whoa, chemistry is different. Like I could just whip some stuff together. It's like, well, hey, potion, <laughs> boom. But like, You're you know, <laughs> there you go, chemistry. <laughs> You're always a done. No, it's like, it's a happy birthday, Harry. No, um, but yeah, you know, it's kind of like one of those those things. Like, you know, you have to kind of really take care of yourself and think of those things. Um, but yes, very st essentially stimulating. Thank you so much, Dan. I just learned so much from you. And I think this is a very important conversation. And going off that, everybody, if you want to see more from him, please check out his Instagram at the Aspie World, where you can find all his links to his other work and check out his book, Autism for Adults, an Approachable Guide to Living Excellently on the Spectrum. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us where to get it. Yeah. You just go to autismforadults.com and awesome. you can get it in whatever country you want. And there's, uh, yeah, it's cool. It's all information on there. And we need to get it number one in the yeah, US. We'll Come on, people. Yeah, it's number true. One, number it's true. One. And we're so close. We're number, we're number two right now. We just need to get that trifecta. Like, you know, US, it's sold out in Canada, dude. It's like, seriously, you can't even get That's it. That's awesome. Wow. Good for you. That's amazing. Bye, everybody. Okay. Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Peace.